Welcome back, guys and gals, to the Northern Miner Podcast, which is brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please do head over to yukonminingalliance.ca to check out all the exciting exploration and development activity going on in Canada's Yukon Territory. And I am your host, Matthew Keevil. We are jumping right on into episode 90. That's right. How have we been around for this long? We are uh, a mere 10 weeks away from our centennial episode. I'm going to have to put something really good together for the centennial uh, i can't believe it's been what what would that make it almost two years old now we are almost two we are old old by podcast standards podcasts weren't even that cool two years ago now we're rocking and rolling so yay for us but uh, speaking of rocking and rolling i am just catching my breath coming off of vancouver's ame roundup and vancouver resource investment conference it was a whirlwind of a week uh, you might have caught me last week my voice was like going and i was like oh god i've been sequestered in uh, the vancouver conference center doing uh, interviews for like four days it was actually great though i caught up with a lot of uh, fantastic guests we got a really good i think barometer for sort of where the industry is to kick off kick off 20 2018. You caught our interview last week with Brent Cook and Joe Mazumdar from Exploration Insights. They talked a little bit about what they're looking at in terms of the junior exploration market. We talked to Geoscience BC about their Search 3 geophysics results uh, and what that might mean for the BC exploration industry. And for this episode, we're sort of continuing that trend of looking ahead into 2018 and taking the temperature of mining markets. My first guest is going to be Mark O'Day, the chairman and founder of Oxygen Capital here in Vancouver. Uh, Mark is a well-known entrepreneur in the business, and we're going to sit down on the floor of the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference to talk a little bit about the most recent downturn, where Mark thinks the uh, markets are right now, and a couple of new deals he's putting together uh, as we speak, uh, including uh, Discovery Metals, which is a uh, polymetallic zinc-focused deal in Mexico, and Sun Metals, which is another polymetallic base metal deal in BC. So uh, we'll have a chat with Mark, get an update on what he's been up to and uh, what he's hearing out there uh, in terms of those you know, mining markets uh, and the deal flow, etc. So that's a great little segment, runs about 12 minutes. Uh, later in the show, we're going to be joined by Phil Hopwood, who is Global Leader Mining at Deloitte. Uh, and Phil and I are going to sit down uh, to have a little bit of a chat about Deloitte's most recent report, uh, which is tracking the trends in 2018. This is the top 10 issues shaping the mining industry in the year ahead. Uh, and in this segment, we're going to hear a few of the uh, reoccurring themes and narratives that the Northern Miner podcast has been pulling together over, let's say, the last uh, 12 months, I'd say, uh, inc including things like digitization, uh, innovation, uh, resetting stakeholder relationships, uh, the image of mining, which is something we talk a lot about on the podcast. Uh, we'll also touch a little bit on shareholder activism, shareholder value, and of course, the commodities of the future, aka technology metals, aka electric vehicles. This is uh, something that is unavoidable these days and it is driving a lot of uh, the interest in the industry as we attempt to compete with things like cryptocurrencies, the new weed deals, pot if you will. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, Phil and I are going to sit down, talk about uh, the most recent trends uh, in the mining industry that Deloitte has seen via uh, conversations and uh, polling of executives and uh, their influence base. So this is another great conversation. Where we're really going to dig into uh, the big discussions that are happening in mining today and uh, what all these companies are saying, how they're trying to make the business more sustainable 
And when we say sustainable, we talk about the environment. We also talk about finance. Uh, how do we decouple ourselves from the cyclicality of metals? That is a big question that uh, you're hearing at the high level of mining a lot. How do we stop going on these bull and bear runs? Is there a way to make our business more sustainable from a cost standpoint? So Phil and I are going to dig into this. It's a really cool conversation. As I mentioned, we'll also talk about a lot of the other pressing issues in the business right now, including the EVs, including uh, that reserve depletion that we're seeing and those falling grades. So Another great talk. But before we dig into our two interviews for the week, uh, let's do our news and notes and see what's going on out there in the broader commodity world. Gold saw a modest jump today, the well-off Wednesday highs, as it closed at $1,344.40 per ounce. The big story in the space was the Federal Open Market Committee meeting, which concluded on Wednesday afternoon with a statement that, quote, made no changes to U.S. monetary policy, though honestly, the market didn't expect any. Uh, the statement said that the U.S. economy is gaining strength, which also could suggest rising inflation. Uh, the market read the report as, quote, neutral to maybe just slightly higher hawkish, while other markets saw little reaction to the Fed's statement. Uh, this was, it should be noted, Federal Chair Janet Yellen's last open market committee meeting. Meanwhile, silver was up about 1.5% at $17.32 per ounce. Let's hop over to the base metal side and the economic agenda of the day, which is exceptionally busy. Uh, first and foremost, China's manufacturing PMI purchasing managers index disappointed at 51.3. That's below an expected reading of 51.5 and lower than the 51.6 recorded in December, which could have added downward pressure on base metals. Uh, in other news, Japanese housing starts and consumer confidence were also weaker than expected, as were German retail sales. Data is expected out later, including French, Spanish, and EU consumer price indices, CPI, as well as readings on German, Italian, and EU unemployment. Uh, furthermore, U.S. data, including non-farm payroll change, employment costs, Chicago PMI, pending home sales, and crude oil inventories are also due out in the next 24 hours. So we'll keep our eye on that. Base metals, however, did sort of defy the uh, poor PMI data out of China, with copper up point four percent at three dollars and twenty cents per pound zinc up 1.2 percent at a dollar 63 per pound uh well oil west texas intermediate was up about 0.4 percent at 64 dollars and 77 cents per barrel and that pretty much wraps up our news and notes for the day so let's jump right into my interview at the vric with mark o'day founder and chairman of oxygen capital mark has built nine companies over the past 15 years which have generated three billion in shareholder returns uh, most recently mark and his team built the karma open pit gold mine in africa which was sold to endeavor mining in 2016. Uh, so let's uh, jump on in with my interview with mark where we talk about all things mining markets uh, i'll be back after the break to talk a little bit about Predium and the Bruce Jack gold mine in northern BC. Welcome, 
everybody. This is Matthew Keeble with the Northern Miner Podcast. We are down at the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference in Vancouver, and today I'm joined by Mark O'Day with Oxygen Capital. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. It's great to be here, Matt. Thank you. Um, so I, I wanted to ask Mark to uh, sit down, and we wanted to talk a little bit about the business and uh, a little bit about the state of capital markets and, and how things are going, because anyone who's familiar with Oxygen uh, knows that they are running multiple companies at any given time. Um, so Mark, maybe the first question before we do dig into uh, some of the more broad questions of the day it is a little bit of an introduction to Oxygen for people who are not familiar with sort of the business model. I mean, Oxygen is, the best way to describe Oxygen is a, a hybrid merchant bank and private mining house, right? So we, we're a group of technical and, and entrepreneurial uh, people who have put their own capital to work to structure and source new deals, put management teams together, put boards together around them, and then launch them and support them. So we've done it, uh, how many times have we done it? We've done it nine times over the last 15 years, right? So um, in this past year, it's been very prolific, actually. We've launched two new companies, Discovery Metals and Sun Metals. Sun is still private, and we hope to take it public in the next three or four months. And Discovery Metals has gone public and raised its first round of public financing and is off into the races down on our project in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and everyone would have remembered, obviously, True Gold and the Karma project uh, that you worked on in Burkina Faso. Yes. Um, and that was taken up by Endeavor Mining. And that was sort of one of the last big M&A deals before the cycle took a bit of a nosedive. So I, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Mark, was during this sort of downtime, I mean, we've seen a little bit of air coming up now with the 13 plus $100 gold price and $3 plus copper price. How did that? How was that down cycle for you? I mean, was it different than the ones you've seen in the past? And, and sort of what were some of the big things you took away from it? Yeah, I mean, with the exception of a couple of moments of reprieve over the last five or six years, it's been brutal. Yeah. It's been brutal for everybody. Capital has dried up and companies like Oxygen and our and our um, managed entities have had to get really creative, right? In terms of where they raise capital. Um, we have had some long uh, standing supportive shareholders and groups that have backed us. What we've tried to do really is find partners who are going to stick with us through the business. Right? So they're, depending on what um, what project we're pushing, so for example, let's take True Gold. Um, we had tech come in as a backstop at a really tough time. That meant a lot to us. Um, we had Liberty Metals and Mining, you know, this ultra-conservative basically insurance fund out of Boston. They had a metals division. They backstopped us with $30 million. You know, at a time when your, your sort of mainstream institutional investors were sitting on the sidelines, right? So we had a project we needed to advance. We had a mine to build. And we had no source of equity from the, the usual suspects. So we had to source new pools of capital. So tech and Liberty were a big part of that. And then for the project finance component, we needed to raise $110 million, and we've created the first syndicated stream deal with Franco Nevada and Sandstorm, right? So both, so effectively four groups financed the entire development and construction of Karma, our open pit gold mine in Burkina Faso for Trugal. So, you know, there wasn't huge broad institutional support at the time, but we, we did what we could, and it ended up being a, a great outcome, and we, we built the mine and poured gold and sold the company. And now you think that 
obviously you said you had to get creative. It was downtime. The traditional equity markets weren't there. Do you think those sort of alternative financing models like streaming and things, do you think they're here to stay now? Or do you think this, those were just a sign of that type of market? Like, do you think do you think now maybe the traditional equity is coming back? Do you think those are going to play as big a role as they did during the down cycle? Well, the streamers and royalty companies, they... Um, they thrive at times when the equity markets are tight, right? Yeah. Obviously, so they, over the last five years, they have had a field day, yeah. right? Because they have been pools of capital that mining companies have needed. Um, so there, there is kind of a, a counterbalance, right? When the equity markets are hot, yeah, go for equity, right? And so their, their business model has to, you know, get stressed a little bit. I don't see the equity markets being alive and well today yeah. at all. Right? I mean, your traditional funds, especially Canadian funds, are uh, undercapitalized. Right? There's not a lot of money. There's not a lot of money for new investments. The retail market has really saved the day. Right? So the retail market, even in our last two deals, so Sun Metals and, and Discovery, they've been retail deals. Right? So they've been retail deals funded mainly out of Vancouver and a little bit less out of Toronto. And that's interesting. I mean, you hear that quite a bit that the generalist isn't back. You, you aren't seeing the generalist fund in the market at all, really. And I've heard that from a lot of the big institutions as well. So that's sort of the impression you're getting is that that money's not even looking our way. Yeah, well, the really. generalists certainly aren't there. They might yeah. be there for EV-related yeah. concepts, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> but your traditional um, um, precious metal funds yeah. are absolutely not there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And e- even then, some of them are looking more in the direction of it base metals because of that, like you said, renewable energy, electric vehicle story, right? It's become so big now. Yes. Um, And that's interesting to me. You mentioned two deals you just got started. Um, And interesting to me, uh, A, uh, your past deal was in Africa, obviously, so you're a bit more broad. Uh, It strikes me that your new deals are sort of in the Americas again, so almost a return return home. Um, But also you're looking more at base metals because um, Discovery is a zinc sort of polymetallic deposit. Um, so is that just a sign of how you think the market is is turning towards maybe more safe jurisdictions, more base metal stories, or is that just that you found these really good deposits? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've always been kind of agnostic about metals and jurisdiction, yeah. right? So we're driven fun- by fundamentals. So is this is this a great opportunity? Is the value there? And can we add value? And firstly, and then secondly, can we work in this jurisdiction, right? And so it just so happens that the Americas have sort of captured the last two deals we've done. Um, uh, in terms of commodity itself, they're, they're topical, right? Zinc's hot. There's not a lot of district scale zinc yes. opportunities out there. These CRD belts, uh, like the one we've got in Discovery and in BC, uh, it's it's. It's unusual to be able to put together a big land package in a prolific past producer, past producing district like we have at Discovery Metals in Kohila State, for example. But we have, um, and we're very excited about starting work there. It's a, um, you know, it's 3,000 square kilometers. It's about seven designated properties, and it's kind of off the main trend. Yeah. But they're um, they were available. And never seen the public markets before, so it's 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 new and exciting. It's a topical metal suite, um, and it's in a good jurisdiction. And, and it's interesting you do mention the term past producing, um, and, and I've heard mixed things about greenfield and more generative type programs. Yeah. I mean, is it is it at this time? Do you think the market that word almost has to be attached past producing to 
get something rolling now, or do you think it's do you think Greenfield's sort of coming back a little bit? I mean, Greenfield's is fine. It just takes a lot longer, right? Yeah. It's a lot longer and a lot riskier in terms of deployment of capital, yeah. right? What I like about what, what Oxygen has built a brand around has been data-rich projects, yeah. right? So data-rich environments, and data-rich environments don't always have to be past producers. They can be past explored. Um, we happen to have a lot of past producing projects. Yep. Um, you know, there were mines before. They stopped mining for various reasons. Either they ran out of ore or the metal prices tanked or they had social issues or whatever. And we picked these up for um, pennies on the dollar, effectively. Retooled them, recontextualized them, spent a bunch of time um, doing good fundamental science and then relaunching them in the context of today's market. Much higher metal prices, um, metallurgical techniques are better. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it's interesting because we talked about the down cycle and how it was so hard to put together money, but at the same time, there's opportunity, right? Because like you're saying, when you want to buy something at the bottom, it's always off, often the hardest time to find money. So I mean, in terms of that, I mean, is, is, is it just a question of putting a lot of your own money in? Or, or how do you, like, in terms of financing those deals, how, like, how do you get overcome at home if you see a really promising thing at the bottom of the market that you want to, you want that thing, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it can be gut-wrenching. You're at the bottom of the market, capital's incredibly tight, and the last thing you feel like doing is putting more of your capital on the line. Mm -hmm. But for high-conviction projects, you have to, right? And you've got to double and triple down and, and put your own capital at risk. And if you believe in it, and you take it out to a broader audience and say, look, you know, I'm a big investor in this, I believe in it, I put a team together, come back it with us. Come back it, yeah. And interesting, I did want to touch on the BC project, because I did, uh, Steve Robertson, the new president and CEO of Sun Metals, was just speaking, and I caught just the tail end of his talk. Um, and he talked a little bit about why BC, because there's a bit of a mixed, you know, new government, a little bit of a, I don't want to say uncertainty, but unfamiliarity with what they're going to do, right? Um, so, so in your due diligence, things like that, uh, maybe just a little bit of discussion on BC as a jurisdiction um, and sort of what you found as you looked at this, this opportunity in terms of the socio-political aspect. Mm -hmm. So putting the geology aside, um, Donald McGinnis is one of our partners and he's one of the partners in Sun Metals who's had a huge uh, history of success in BC having built plutonic power and and struck a whole series of IBAs with First Nation groups and he's just a well-known uh, he's well-known, politically focused character in BC, mm -hmm. um, and Donald's comfortable working here, and I am too. Um, and in terms of broadening out the team, Steve was an excellent fit because of his experience at Imperial Metals. I mean, they permitted, I think it was two mines under the NDP government, right in the past, right. And he's he's the consummate uh, community relations guy, uh, very well connected politically. And I figured if Donald and Steve were together on this project, we're good with it. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, interestingly enough, I mean, Sun Metals is still private as we speak here today. I think Steve was saying the timelines for a, a public listing in the spring, somewhere around there. Um, but, but that's an interesting sort of part of the oxygen model to me is you are advancing some of these things privately. You're doing private exploration programs, et cetera. I mean, what sort of pulls that trigger for you when you want it to become public like is there a certain stage these things come to or what for oxygen when do you sort of decide that's it's time to do that? well we'd like to take things public as soon as possible as possible okay. yeah yeah so i mean mining is a tough business to keep private mm -hmm. right yeah and uh you know exploration really is 
is a business that has thrived in Vancouver in this in this market, and it's it's meant to be public. Yeah. Right. So we like to take them public as quickly as we can, and um, you know, build the right shareholder base from day one. Yeah. Structure these deals properly. Um, and you know, bring the right investors in. And the availability of capital is obviously a, yeah. a big one, right? So, yeah. um, and so, Mark, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we talked broadly about general markets and the state of capital and things like that. I mean, in terms of fundamentals, um, obviously you, you mentioned EVs a little bit. And I mean, what are you hearing out there in terms of the anecdotally, like what are people saying about mining? When you go out and you do fundraisings for these variety of projects and things like Yeah, that? I mean, it's funny. I was on a panel a while ago and, uh, you know, I shared the panel with cryptocurrency guy and, yeah. and you know, blockchain guy. And, and, you know, I felt, honestly, I felt a little bit obsolete, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, here I am, you know, this sort of meat and potatoes mining business and um, you know I can't really speculate on on how much longevity they're gonna have right yeah I, I get the I get the utility of them yeah right and that's what we're competing against right we're competing against that kind of risk capital that used to flow into mining and exploration is flowing into other sectors right now right and so we're getting starved out of it yeah I don't think mining is going away at all, right? I think these metals are going to be in as high demand, if not higher demand, as the world continues to grow. It's pretty basic, yeah. right? Whether it's gold for, uh, you know, currency protect protection and inflationary protection and all the fundamental reasons why people invest in gold, or whether it's, it's fundamental commodities like zinc and copper for, um, uh, you know, for a growing middle class and and you know battery production etc well uh, once again this has been matthew keeble in downtown vancouver i've been joined by mark o'day from oxygen capital mark thanks again so much for joining us thanks matthew Thanks again to Mark O'Day, the founder and chairman of Oxygen Capital, for taking the time to sit down with me at the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference to talk a little bit about mining markets, what he's seeing out there today, some of the observations he had from the most recent downturn, uh, and a bunch of other really great topics. So thanks again to Mark. We wish him and his team the best at their two new vehicles, Discovery Metals and Sun Metals, so do check those out. And now for a very highly requested segment with Matt. Um, I, I got a lot of emails about this, a lot of phone calls about this. Uh, so last week during the conferences, there was big news out of Predium Resources and its flagship underground Bruce Jack gold mine in northwestern BC. Uh, they had put out uh, the final results for their ramp-up fourth quarter production, as well as a six-month guidance figure for what they expected to produce gold-wise uh, through first half 2018. Uh, subsequently, the company's stock was just uh, totally beat down um, when I wrote an article I think on January 29th it was down 30% to a 52 week low of $9.18 per share on the TSX on around 13 million share trade volumes I just checked again today uh, the stock is now near a two-year low at $8.56 per share so Predium has been having a rough ride subsequent to the release of uh, some of the activity up at Bruce Jack just to provide you a little bit of numbers here uh, the company reported uh, that it had produced about 
152,484 ounces of gold since declaring commercial production at the operation in early July. Uh, during the fourth quarter, it milled 271,500 tons of ore uh, and produced 70,281 ounces of gold. Now, this in and of itself is not actually a particularly bad outcome. What is bad is that uh, the street or the market, if you will, was predicting far higher fourth quarter production, somewhere around the 100,000 ounce range for some analysts. Um, BMO Capital Markets analyst Andrew Cape expected uh, Bruce Jack to produce 91,800 ounces during that fourth quarter period. And the issues all sort of can be traced back to uh, the feasibility guidance at Bruce Jack. The company expects the mine to produce roughly 500,000 ounces gold annually for the first eight years of its 18-year mine life uh, at all in sustaining costs of U.S. $446 per ounce gold. So obviously a little bit of a ways to go to hit that sort of production at the mine. Uh, so I wrote all this up, put together an article. Uh, a lot of people read it. Uh, and then uh, so I was like, you know what, I, I, I got to reach out to the company to give them an opportunity to respond. Uh, to some of these questions that were coming out of uh, the market, coming out of some of the commentary, uh, I didn't actually expect a response from them because uh, they have a conference call on March 9th to sort of discuss, uh, you know, where the mine's at and uh, some of these results, etc. Uh, but lo and behold, to much to their credit, about two hours after I uh, reached out to them, Predium actually got right back to me and said, you know what, our president and CEO, Joe Osnick, We'll sit down right away and talk to you about this at length. So that, like, I was like, wow, that's that's amazing. Great transparency. Uh, a lot of props to Predium for actually taking that interview because it must have been a super busy and rather stressful time. But I sat down with Joe, uh, and he was very candid about sort of what was going on up at Bruce Jack. I'm not going to spoil the whole interview here. The entire transcript is actually over at northernminer.com. So if you've been looking for that excuse for a subscription, sit down, uh, punch in your details, grab this article. It's my exclusive with uh, the Predium management talking about what's going on up at Bruce Jack uh, and them responding to some of the criticisms that were coming out of the capital markets community in terms of their guidance and sort of what was going on uh, with the mine in this part of the ramp-up process. Um, and uh, maybe I'll, I'll read a couple of the comments Joe had for me uh, on the thing. One of the big sort of talking points uh, was grade reconciliation at Bruce Jack. Always been sort of, um, you know, a big question surrounding the, the, the mine and their ability to sort of maintain some sort of consistent grades and defeat variability with uh, an ore body that's definitely pinches as well as a lot is a little bit nuggety etc we all knew that grade variance was going to be a big challenge at the valley of kings which is the big deposit at bruce jack uh so what did joe say about great uh grade reconciliation well he said we've been pushing grade reconciliation from our first week of mining we told everyone that it was early days and we do the best we could at year end but we've been looking at reconciliation over just five months and we've been mining a very small portion of the deposit where we didn't have the drill density we do in other areas Areas. We also don't have our grade control system working. So Predium actually thinks the results are pretty good uh, at f over the first six months, all things considered. Uh, Joe says the market is clearly saying they want us to be better than that. Uh, it's still early days on grade reconciliation along with everything else. We believe as we get... Um, and to other better defined areas and open up the, the deposit, we'll be able to approach parity with our grade model. And he finished up by saying uh, to me that this is the harsh reality of the market. And obviously we have to do better. We're working hard on that. In the end, we're in ramp up and we believe things are going to meet our expectation. It is just a question of time. So uh, interesting comments. I mean, if there's a lot, we get into a lot of technical detail in the interview. So if you're interested in some of the scope, uh, scope, 
sorry, scope, stope dimensions at Bruce Jack, uh, what their grade control system looks like, uh, sort of how they're mining the ore body. You, you just got to read this article. It, it really gets into the brass tacks of what's going on at the mine. So, yeah, it, it really great. I just wanted to briefly touch on that because people were like, well, can you run the whole article in the po- or the whole interview on the podcast? I'm like, I, I don't think I, I don't know the... A, I didn't really disclose to Predium that I would be doing that. And B, I don't really have the audio quality uh, that we would need to do it. So uh, if you'd, you'd be interested in the full transcript, however, head over to northernminer.com. I've typed it all up. It's all up there. It's been getting uh, some really great response, actually. Uh, across the industry, I've had a lot of calls from uh, from people who are like, oh, thank you. It's great to just see that, that transparency there with the company. Um, so uh, I just want to thank Predium again for uh, providing me the opportunity to get that exclusive. And uh, it was great to sit down with Joe uh, and talk about what was going on up at Bruce Jack. So I just wanted to take a little time during the episode to talk about that. I'd had quite a few requests uh, from the community on on maybe running that interview uh, or getting uh, someone on the podcast. I mean, I'm always willing to get any mining executive on our podcast to talk about their project. So maybe in the future we'll do that. But I wanted to uh, just chat a little bit about that and that process. It was really interesting editorially uh, over the last week or so as that came together uh, for us at the miner. Uh, to get all that put together in terms of uh, some of the commentary coming from the outside community, the commentary coming from Predium, it ended up bringing a really cool, cool mining narrative. So I do uh, do recommend everyone checks that out. But let's get right into our uh, uh, second uh, second segment of the week with uh, Phil Hopwood, who once again is the global leader mining at Deloitte. Um, and uh, we're going to dig into, as I uh, as I said uh, at the onset of the show, Deloitte's most recent report, which is tracking the trends of 2018, the top 10 issues shaping mining in the year ahead. Uh, so Phil and I are going to dig into, as I mentioned, a bunch of the uh, sort of big themes and and uh, stories that the podcast has been following over the past year or so. Uh, we're going to talk about what we can look forward to in 2018, some of the big conversations happening out there and the grand halls of mining and uh, what, uh, what we're looking at in terms of innovating, in terms of getting more diversity into the industry and what we can do to sort of, as we said, uh, sort of defeat that cyclicality, uh, get get ourselves onto that track that's more reliable for shareholders, profit generation, dividends, etc. So it's a great conversation I have with Phil, and that's actually going to wrap up our episode for the week. So I'm going to uh, run that just to close us out. But uh, once again, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to the Northern Miner podcast. Uh, we have been uh, rip-roaring along here to start the year, and I look forward to continuing to bring you uh, these great exclusive interviews and content uh, as we move forward into 2018. So uh, once again, I am Matthew Keeble, and thank you so much. We'll catch you next week. Welcome back, everybody, to the Northern Miner Podcast. Uh, we have a real treat today. We are talking about uh, sort of broad issues in mining, long-term trends, uh, some of the big narratives in the business today. And uh, I am joined by Phil Hopwood, who is the global mining leader at Deloitte. Phil, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be on, the, Matt, and uh, thanks for having me on with you today. 
And uh, we're talking to you at a very opportune time because Deloitte just released uh, the mining report, which explores key trends in 2018. But also, uh, you've sort of looked back over the past 10 years uh, at some of the major, as we said, stories and narratives uh, in the business and sort of what the industry is talking about now. So I, that's where I wanted to actually start, Phil, uh, was this really interesting chart. You have 10-year trends uh, that sort of follows the top 10 major issues for miners uh, of, for any given year, obviously, starting back in 2009. Um, so maybe let's start there and uh, talk a little bit about what Deloitte's found in terms of this uh, maybe longer decade term uh, term narrative uh, around mining. All right, th th thanks, Matt. I mean, it is interesting to look back at this. I mean, obviously, as miners, we are very much looking forward to, to some of the things that are that are going forward right now. But um, mining is a very very uh, old industry, as we know. It's been around. I mean, like Northern Miner, around for over a hundred years now, uh, and uh, mining around for, for thousands of years, uh, and. And it's, and it's it is so important to actually look back sometimes and learn the lessons of the past. You know, uh, history is a, uh, a great great pointer to what might actually go on in the future there. And and some of those some of those trends that we we've kind of seen over the last uh, ten years they they're almost like story arcs that develop over time. And uh, one of them is it's 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 really interesting. You know, we started in two thousand and nine. One of the very first trends we talked about was we called it the commodity price roller coaster. We looked at that volatility uh, of commodity prices, and here we stand now, you know, ten years later, and we really still talk about that as well. We we talk about the commodities of the future. We and we talk about uh, reserve replacement walls. That's one of our trends in in the, in the report this year in terms of uh, are we replacing? And it's all around that volatility, and. And I suppose where we stand right now in, in, in 2018, that is still very much um, a, what we really have to look at in terms of, well, you know, where are we now? Are, are we in a boom? You know, some people would say we're actually a part of a boom cycle. I mean, you think, look at things like the Investec mining stock, the mining clock, which you might be uh, familiar with. Uh, uh, that would actually say we're actually past six o'clock. We're into a boom cycle. That we've had the uh, people getting themselves in order. Prices are kind of back. There's some good valuations for mining companies. But but I have to tell you, not all commodities are in the same place. Uh, and, it, and it kind of feels like for a boom, this actually feels quite strange. It's almost like a bull run. And I, and I, and I think the issue that we see right now is that going back to that commodity price roller coaster, it was only two years ago that we saw a lot of the commodity prices bumping along at real lows in 2016. If, if you kind of look back there with zinc prices, nickel and the like. And now we're, we're in a bull run, I would say, for some of those commodities. And I think the thing that's been driving it is really around Supply, so it's scarcity of supplies driving the price up in some commodities, rather than massive demand in some, like from China, in some. Though, having said that, for some commodities, demand from China is still very, very strong. Certainly, Phil, and I mean it's really interesting we talk about this because one of obviously the big. Uh big sort of uh, narratives we hear is that that sort of lull we just went through. Uh, are we emerging from this down cycle, etc.? And you, t you hear a lot of people talk about uh, metal prices versus equity and things like that. But uh, as someone who's out there sort of, uh, you know, at the broad level of mining, talking to the big executives and uh, having these conversations on a macro level, I mean, uh, the mining industry, looking back now on what they've been through over the past, let's say, five to 10 years, do you sort of get a common theme about maybe some of the things they've learned or some of the things they want to change? Well, I, I think they, people have definitely learned uh, to try and insulate themselves against that price volatility. I mean, I sometimes say, yeah, volatility is the new stability these days. I mean, we know it's going to be volatile. I mean, 
do we do you know do we do we know what the gold price is going to be in the next 12 months? Do we know what it's going to be in the next 18 months? I mean, the, the, yes, we can. We all look at the same sort of uh, consensus forecasters' opinions, um, and we all kind of get it wrong as well because you know that's that's the thing. As you look back in history, you know people often got those commodity prices wrong. But some of those themes that that are really still very prevalent that we talked about five, ten years ago, yeah. We were talking about the environment 10 years ago. Environmental considerations, you know, are really important there. And now we're, it's, we're all, we're all talking about green. You know, we, we are, we're all social democrats with a small s and a small d here in terms of working with communities, environmental considerations, transparency. Um, you look at some of the, the large miners that are producing on an annual basis, the uh, tax, tax reports. You know, they're actually showing how much money that they're paying. And um, in terms of tax to, the, to, to local governments, and then in terms of environmental, I mean, you look at the size of some of those sustainability reports and the stories there. There's, there's, there's quite the story. So people have kind of got that, and, and people have definitely really thought through how do we get our our cost into a into a place on a sustainable basis going forward. That if the price falls, we're kind of we're we're going to be, you know, we're going to be able to survive that. It's not going to be just Terrible shock, and that the whole place will go and collapse, and we have to stop. It's kind of how we move forward with that. And the way that they've done that, for example, a lot of the the gold miners, you know, you've had things like all-in sustaining costs come in as like a, a cost benchmark there for a lot of the gold miners since 2009, when we first started producing this report. So they they really do look at some of these you know consistent cost benchmarks now, and they've kind of got themselves in order with that. Now the issue will be how do you how, how do you keep how to keep those costs under control as we move forward? As for example, as a gold miner, when we have supply, when we have pressures now from our uh, services companies, for example, uh, suppliers who kind of they have cost pressures as well. They want to increase prices and the like. Okay, you know, and the other way, the other way a lot of the miners can do that is actually changing the way that they do work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it, the one of the interesting, uh, obviously topics we talked about over the last let's say five years was balance sheets phil um and it obviously it was a really big topic amongst uh, some of the big producers they overextended themselves uh, got a little bit uh, too boisterous maybe in the last uh, last cycle but uh, i mean is it your impression that uh, a they've 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 broadly succeeded in cleaning up uh, the balance sheet situation and do you think uh, they've they've sort of learned from that mistake that maybe uh, leverage is a bit more important than they thought in these sort of more bullish cycles well, uh, well, that, that's something that we, we we talk about there. We talk about finance. We we talk about if you, if you notice one of the trends we have this year is talk about reserve replacement rules because I think what's actually happened is that a lot of miners, absolutely right, they've cleaned up their valuation sheets, they got their debt levels down, cash flows are looking good, and all the rest. And and now where we are faced though is that you kind of have to develop some new assets if you kind of want to move forward because one of the uh, the big uh, certainties in mining, of course, is that we are dealing with finite resources. I mean, you mine your gold mine and eventually you've got to, you've got to close that down, remediate and, and relinquish that to whoever, whatever community that you're dealing with, for example, uh, and then you have to develop new assets. And one of the, the issues that we're still seeing right now is where is the development of those new greenfield assets? We're, we're, everybody wants to look at brownfield and maybe we'll do some asset exchanges of buying small companies and the like. But when it comes to investing in the big capital projects, which, by the way, was a big story arc that we've had previously, uh, people, people are still very nervous with that. I mean, nobody wants to be seen as the, the company that has gone to the board of directors and has approved the 
ten billion dollar project, and then the market changes and oh, you know, a mistake. And and sort of the narrative we're hearing about, uh, or from some of the larger companies, sorry, I should say, is is these sort of uh, joint ventures or collaboration in terms of some of these larger products. You've seen that with, uh, for example, Gold Corp uh, and Barrick in South America and Tech with the uh, Nuevo Union project as well. I mean, uh, from Deloitte's point of view, I mean, is is this sort of a way forward that you can see working, where they sort of partner up on these things, spread the risk, share the capex, etc. Well, we, we we do talk a lot about that in terms of um, you know, we talk about innovation and the like. I mean, it's kind of extended the arc around that sort of topic of innovation, but it's all around de-risking and working more collaboratively as an industry. I mean, this is not an industry that, which is which is a bit interesting, really, compared with other industries like, for example, oil and gas. This is not an industry that, by and large, has actually collaborated well together. Sometimes within their own companies as well. So, uh, so when it comes to um, de-risking in terms of exploration activities, in terms of developing new innovative technologies and the like. Uh, I, I think there's definitely a mood to kind of do more of that going forward and to spread your risk around, to kind of understand that it's not just around your success as a business, but it's really the we're looking at the industry here. I mean, we, we talk about the image of mining as one of our trends this year. It's really looking at the image of mining, looking at the industry as a whole, and kind of working more closely together, if you like, to collaborate where we're not actually competing. And, and money is interesting because quite often the companies are not really competing. They may be competing for, uh, for shareholder funds, perhaps, but they're not really competing in terms of uh, retail. They're not like retailers, mm -hmm. are they? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, that's a really good point. And I mean, I, I wanted to touch a bit on the reserve replacement issue because we do hear quite a bit about that as well. I mean, that really relates to what we sort of do here in Vancouver, and that's a lot of venture capital uh, mm -hmm. in terms of uh, exploration companies and, and doing more generative work. Um, and I'm just wondering, uh, Phil, in terms of what you're hearing out there and, and sort of the, the discussions going on at Deloitte, I mean, is, is there a cognizance out there that A, the junior sector was pretty beaten down over the last part of the cycle, and, and, and B, there sort of needs to be a way to find find uh, a method to finance this kind of work. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah spot on. Uh, I mean, so, the, so, the, so the, the issue here is that um, we know we have to develop new assets. Uh, and I've already said that a lot of the, 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 the big miners, they're, they're nervous I mean, to do those investments. The, the way traditionally that we've actually sought this is through the junior miners themselves, the, the exploration companies. However, one of the, the big problems that we actually have around all of that is this whole issue of finance. Because those traditional methods of finance, which you know, we went to the banks, we raised money from the, from the TSX or London Stock Exchange, whatever, you know, it, it kind of isn't really working as well as it used to, or it's really not back. So what you've actually got instead is there is different methods of funding and financing around. So, for example, private equity is very, very, um, is very much to the fore now in the, in the, in the mining sector. Um, we've seen in Canada here. The, uh, the real, you know, real prevalence around the streamers, you know, the the, uh, the, the streaming companies there. They are they're doing, and they they are a uh, that's an alternative method of, of financing, and is doing really really well. And interesting enough, you don't see streamers as prevalent in places like Australia. I mean, I'm sure there are different issues there related to that to that geography geography in terms of maybe uh, tax or whatever. But so the, these the, you, know, you see streamers are, are quite prevalent here, and also there is a there is a wealth by the way of 
private capital around, which is not private equity. So somebody was telling me this in terms of in, in terms of Central Asia. Um, if you look at, for example, Afghanistan, you know Afghanistan is a, is a great source of copper and gold. Yes, there are certain geopolitical issues there as well. I absolutely understand. But the, but the, in terms of like the uh, Afghan investors, invest investors, I think the number is like twenty billion dollars into the Dubai property market. Uh, and, and so there, there are these sources of investment that are like non-traditional sources and, and how do you get access to, to people like that? Uh, one of the interesting things that I saw in your report here was sort of that there's maybe some structural barriers in mining towards innovation and change, some, some challenges that have to be overcome uh, in terms of uh, absorbing these technologies and putting them to use. I mean, as you talk to people out there, uh, obviously mining is sort of viewed as a not necessarily backward, but slower to adapt industry. I mean, did, did Deloitte uh, identify any reasons why that might be, and what are what is the industry itself saying about that? So we've done we've done a, we've done a number of reports in this area in terms of innovation, uh, and we've actually done it by geography as well: Africa, South America, Canada, and uh, I mean there is the trend if you, the trend in innovation, if you like, is that people are getting better at it. But this is an industry, as you say. I mean. I mean, old-fashioned, I don't know if that's quite the right word, but it, it's definitely an industry that has been slow to adopt um, some of the practices in other industries. I mean, I, I do know people who would kind of turn around and say, well, mining is manufacturing, but 25 years out of date in some areas sometimes. And, and, I, and, and I've got to say, you know, you look at what the, the car companies were doing in the 1990s in terms of working with their suppliers, looking at end-to-end -end supply chains, and really gathering the data on those end-to-end -end supply chains. And that is eerily um, uh, reminiscent of what the, uh, the, the miners are doing right now. They're kind of looking at end-to-end -end supply chains, data-driven insights, and really looking at that. Uh, but but it's, as an industry, mining has been very, very keen on technical innovation. And there's a huge amount of work going in that area there. How do we move away from that sort of blasting and drilling paradigm? Horrible word, I do know. But, you know, the way that we do our blasting and drilling is quite ineffective. How can we move to things like, you know, I'm sure you've, you've seen the same things that I have or in terms of, you know, uh, explosions without explosives, if you like, you know, cracking, cracking the rock so you can more efficiently get access to the ore bodies and the like. So... So there's, there's there's a lot of that type of uh, discussion on 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 the innovation side. Could we go? We are comfortable moving more because a lot of the guys running it are actually more from an engineering background to that area. Drones. We all like drones. Where the innovation though, sometimes we we could be better at that compared with other industries. And we do actually talk in this report here how how far behind in terms of innovation mining is compared with so consumer business and some of the other industries. Uh, where that innovation really is interesting in some of the companies is like where they really talk through innovation in terms of getting different thinking in the organization. So if, if you look at, say, um, I, I'll just you know point out a company that BHP is on the public record, though, with its stated objective in terms of aspirational objective of having 50% of its workforce being uh, w women by 2025. Now, that's not just because they want better technical innovation in their organization. One of, one of their drivers is they want different thinking to the complex problems that they have in their organization. And, 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 and if we're all sitting around the table, all from the same background with our engineering backgrounds, you know, the thinking that we're going to have at this complex issue is, is not going to be different. And we want that different thinking arrow. Now, that's innovation. I think that is, 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 is quite an uh, interesting way to do it.
And I was just going to make an observation that I noticed that uh, the digital revolution sort of popped up on your 10-year trend list mm-hmm. last year. And it, it's been interesting to me because, uh, you know, this, this conversation sort of seemed to be intensifying over the last, let's say, 18 months. Yeah, it's all digital now. We're, we're, uh, and, and, and digital is uh, – somebody was asking me the other day and said, well, but is the spending there yet? You know, we're not seeing that the spend's really gone into this sector on the digital side right, right now. But it's, but it's relatively early days. So people are still going through – some organizations obviously more further along than others, but a lot of the mining companies, they're, they're still going through their um, – uh, the visioning, the, the getting their roadmaps together, but they really are trying to think through the digital roadmap. Well, what that means is in terms of uh, the insights that they can get from like their, their uh, like I mentioned before, their end-to-end supply chains, basically uh, linking their operating te- technology back-end systems in, say, their the refineries and the, the, the mine sites with uh, with their ERPs and the like. There's, 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 there's kind of all of that. And then from an, from an innovation perspective, it's it's really embedding that thinking in their organization and creating, this is the big thing though, is creating those collaborative ecosystems with suppliers and with other mining companies to kind of feed off each other. Because some of those issues that they're having, I mean, the issues that you see around, for example, uh, some, of the, some, of the, you know, we, some of the mining companies, they, they have stated objectives to actually, we want a mine that uses kind of no water or the waterless mine. Well, that's actually not a competitive issue. That is actually an industry issue in terms of water and sustainability. And we should all be working together those, to solve those types of issues. Oh, and I certainly, that's a, a commentary I hear quite a lot from our big Canadian gold producers. Was it, you know, Gold Corp and Bear talk a lot about mm-hmm. water management. Um, and uh, the next one, I, I want to pair this. Maybe on first blush, people wouldn't pair this as much. Uh, but this is sort of a trend I've noticed is, is the image of mining was one thing you noticed in 2018. Mm-hmm. And then you've noticed the commodities of the future. And I think these sort of go hand in hand in so much as we're hearing a lot about the role mining can play in renewables uh, and decarbonization, yeah. if you want to use that term. Um, um, but, uh, you know, I, from a fundamental standpoint, you know, this might be a little bit of a ways out, but from a narrative standpoint, it's very much here, right? So with these commodities of the future, I mean, we hear about Tesla and electric cars um, and all those sort of uh, potential, you know, demand hits that could come over the next 10 years. What's Deloitte hearing about this sort of EV revolution and uh, what maybe more of the near-term impact might be on mining? Yeah. Well, I, I think that, that, is, that is such an interesting um, narrative, as you say. I, I actually, um, I really do think, one thing that, that I, I've learned in this is that I think some of the, the downstream companies here, the, the um, electric vehicle companies, the, the people producing the batteries and the like, I think they had kind of forgotten that to kind of get these batteries, to make these batteries, we're going to need nickel, cobalt, lithium, you know, whatever, uh, to, 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 to develop the arc, arc furnaces in China that will actually produce iron from scrap steel, you're going to need graphite, you know? And I think they kind of have forgotten that. And, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, the, the mining is actually crucial to this because I think they kind of just assumed the lithium would be there. And, and of course, we know that that's not kind of how it works. And uh, so people are now talking around more of those supply chains in terms of what we, we need. And, and uh, you know, we've actually had workshops we've actually had people sitting there with like with those end-to-end people with, with the, the mining people sitting down with the car companies and sitting down with the the chemicals people actually talking through how everybody kind of works together to produce 
the, the electric vehicles of the future. I, 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 and I, I think where this can actually lead to, uh, in terms of talk about reserve replacement walls and the like, is that uh, to produce those batteries, that really does mean some of those uh, the battery producers, uh, the car companies, may well have to start advancing upstream into the mining sector to secure that supply. And I think you've seen Toyota do that, right? If I recall correctly, they made some strategic investments in lithium um, and some partnerships as well. And I mean, that's an interesting sort of trend for me, Phil, and, and a topic that I get into a bit. I've been getting calls from like Microsoft and IBM recently and working at them. It's a very interesting point. Uh, and just to wrap up here, Phil, I, I just want to cover, the, I guess, the last two sort of uh, points here from your 2018 report. Uh, and these ones are interesting and also, uh, I think, linked. And that's shareholder activism um, and, uh, sh you know, just sort of the the shareholder value proposition. And and mining sort of always struggled with this. I'm sure, uh, sure we've talked about this at length uh, all over many cycles, um, but uh, what do you see in terms of how mining companies can maybe appeal to shareholders better, and how is that dialogue going um, in terms of, you know, that sort of relationship between attracting shareholders, keeping shareholders, you know, that activism component? Well, well I, th I think it's, it's about communication, isn't it? And it's about working with investors. I, I increasingly think the role of the CEO in a mining company and some of the key executives there is working with investors. And, and I'm, I'm sure you see that when you go to a PDAC or any mining in Darbor and the like. I mean, how much time are these conferences, you know, around, the, around this, this uh, reporting season? It's how much time you have to spend with your investors explaining your strategy and explaining what you're actually doing in terms of your planning and your scenarios and, and the like. And so it, it is about communication. Uh, and at the same time, I mean, it, it is here to stay. I mean, shareholder activism is, is, is a thing. And, and, and active communities as well working in this sector is, 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 is a reality. It's basically all about communication, working with those stakeholders. And, and what, I, what I was saying is that mining as an industry traditionally has been more what I would characterize as an introverted industry. Uh, it wants to focus on the mining and this idea that I have to go out and spend time with these shareholders and, and or maybe these activist investors and actually really talk through you know, how, um, you know, what my story is and what I'm actually doing is, 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 is an issue. It's also mining, and I see this is a reason why people have moved away and sometimes focus on private equity and privatize their companies, is that the quarterly reporting seasons that we say for, see, for example, in, in North America is something that is anathema to long-term investing in, in the mining sector. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's interesting, Phil, because we're almost perfectly to close our, our our talk here. Is that we're almost circling back to the beginning, and that was where we talked a little bit about uh, sort of uh, defeating the cyclical nature of mining, getting away from that sort of being at the you know ebb and flow of commodity prices. Um, and I'd be interested in in terms of talking to maybe the the capital markets participants out there and and the broader community. I mean, is there sort of a you know amongst the investment community? A, you know, some optimism in terms of mining doing that? I mean, do you think, uh, what do you think it's going to take to sort of get some of these dollars back? Well, I, I think I think people see the margins that are that are right now here in mining. And they, they, they see, I mean, if you, if you ever go to any of these, if you're any in the investor calls, and I know you go to the mines and you're actually on some of those investor calls and the like, you, you would hear the consistent message from the mining community is like, you know, uh, conservative balance sheets, um, responsible in terms of our communities, you know, they, it's, it's very, you know, cost, con cost under control and the like, you know, and I think 
that's what investors want to hear because it's they want to de-risk as well but at the same time you know we want to see dividends being paid and we want to see growth and a strategy in the like you know what is your strategy there and uh, i i think getting that message out and being consistent as an industry with it is is is, is just so important um and i, and I think by and large a lot of the the mining companies have the challenge they will face of course in the next two to three years is as they face increasing cost pressures from their suppliers as we mentioned there before and as we as, as they they generate those profits the cycle always means that governments start to turn more and more towards you know how can we how can we get our share of this these these profits that you're generating notwithstanding the fact you've only generated profits for the last two to three years and you were losing money before that of course but but yeah, so so that's the tension that's going to be, you know, how can you maintain that discipline, and also can you stay true to this 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 model now of the the new models that you're creating in terms of your operations and your organisations and working with you know the, we have the topic the future of mining and the like, yeah, stay on that, stay stay true with all of that, and uh, and not get side railed by, um, uh, by, by by like your 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 cost pressures and the like. Well, Phil, uh, this has been a great chat. It was absolutely great of you to join us today following the release of Deloitte's Mine Trend Report. Please do head over to Deloitte.com to check out the report. Uh, this has been Phil Hopwood, the global leader mining with Deloitte. Phil, thanks again for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Matt. And Karen doing the great work as well, North Mine. Thank you very much.